it's been, uh, it's been quite an up and down week. Um, and so maybe it's a little bit fitting as, as we enter into this new teaching series uh, called One Hard Road. And uh, we're going to spend the month of September just diving into some difficult topics. Some of these topics we don't usually touch as a church, and so I think it's important that we touch them. Um, and a couple of things, as, as people have asked me, and even as we have processed this as a staff, uh, you know, basically each Sunday we're going we're gonna to pick up a very hard topic. And really, we're only going to just barely scratch the surface of that topic. And so it's like, well, you know, should we do it more justice? You know, should we spend more time on it? And the truth is, each one of these topics we could do a five-week teaching series on. And maybe we will in a year, the year or two coming forward. We may take some time to unpack each of these topics further. But in these five weeks, we just barely have time to scratch the surface on each of these topics. But here's where my heart is. I think the most important thing that we could accomplish in, in discussing these topics is just getting them out in the open. If we just barely scratch the surface, but we create an atmosphere in our church where these topics are okay to talk about and people are safe to open up and share their hearts, then I think that's a win. And so um, as we dive into these things and we begin to talk about things like sexual abuse and mental illness and suicide and drug addiction, we're not going to heal stuff in a 30-minute sermon. But if we can begin to open up people's hearts to reach out for help and talk about it, that we can begin to set them on a journey towards health and wholeness and healing. That is our hope and our desire. So, so I think that's important that we recognize that, that we're not trying to solve every problem. We're just trying to start the conversation so that people can ask for help when they need help. You know, I traveled around the country doing school assemblies and middle schools and high schools talking about suicide. And again, I'd fly into a city and do an assembly and fly out. And I would do a one-hour assembly. And I knew that most everything I taught in that assembly, the kids would forget. And I'd tell some funny stories that hopefully they would remember. But the most important thing with all of those assemblies that I did is that the kids could walk out of that assembly knowing, hey, we just talked about suicide for an hour, and it was okay. And it's okay to talk about. And kids would begin to talk about it, and they'd begin to open up to their friends, or they'd go to the counseling office, and they'd reach out. That's our same goal here in this teaching series, is that people would begin to reach out and talk about things that maybe we've kept in the dark for too long. The other thing I want to share before we jump into this is, is simply the reality that we want, to, we want to share real answers. We want to share hard answers. We're not going to give easy answers. And yes, God can show up and do a miracle and change circumstances overnight. And if he chooses to do that, great. But what we want to help people with is the long road, right? Which means it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time to overcome some very difficult things. And so we're not here to give easy answers. We're here to give hard answers. And so we may share some things that you don't like. We may share some things that hurt your feelings, and that's not my intent. My intent is not to hurt your feelings or to make anybody upset. My intent is to share the truth with love, and if that does hurt your feelings, I would ask you to please, please call me, and let's talk about it. Let's talk about why it hurts your feelings, and let's see if we can come to an understanding of, of why I shared what I shared and, and why we're moving in a direction. Does that sound good? 
So we're going to dive into this. Let me just give you a sneak preview here of these five Sundays. And so today, we're going to start with broken families. And I want to share kind of two things that would help us begin to process and move forward if we are a part of a broken family. Next Sunday, September 8th, we're going to tackle poverty and, and, and some of the issues that are wrapped up in not just poverty, but even generational poverty that it's passed down from, from family to family. September 15th, we're going to get into addiction. September 22nd, we're going to talk about sexual abuse. And then September 29th, we're going to get into mental illness and suicide. So if you were wondering when we were hitting a specific topic, I wanted to show this to you so you knew exactly when we would be dealing with that. All right, with that said, let's jump into our first topic. Let's talk about broken families. The notes are in your bulletin, so if you've got your bulletin, you can open up your notes and you can, get, uh, you can follow along. But here's the thing. As we talk about broken families, first off, it's important that we understand what is a whole family. Right? Because then a broken family would be anything that's not a whole family. So let's set the ideal, right? Because we always set the ideal, and then we talk about how life ends up broken most of the time, and the ideal doesn't always work out. So when it comes to a whole family, a whole family would be this, that the biological parents are intact in the home and living in a healthy marriage relationship. The biological parents are intact in the home and living in a healthy marriage relationship. That is the ideal of a whole family. So mom and dad are together. They're married. They have a healthy marriage. Things are going good, and they're having children, and, and they are the biological parents of those children. Now, a caveat to that would be that there is a healthy marriage in the home, but it's not always the biological mom and dad, right? So maybe um, you had kids from a previous marriage, and now you've remarried, and now you are in a healthy marriage, and so things are good in the home. But those of you that have gone through that type of a blended family situation, you know that there was some adjustment even in that blending of the family, that it wasn't all just roses and good, bringing different kids and families together and, and, and going through remarriage. But if you have gone through remarriage, and it is a healthy marriage now, and, and, and you do have that, that whole atmosphere in the home, that, that would be kind of the caveat to the whole biological parent thing. So with that definition in mind, what we have then is a whole slew of other things that could happen when it comes to broken families, right? So we could have a divorce that breaks up a family. We could have the reality that mom and dad were never married, and so the family was never whole to begin with. Uh, we could have the fact that mom and dad are married, and they are in the home, but it's not healthy. Maybe there's addiction, or there's abuse, or there's things going on that are causing all sorts of pain and torment in the home. Um, and you could have uh, one of the parents died, and, and, and so they're, they're going through pain and grief because of the parents died. Uh, we could see adultery. We could see addiction. We could see abuse. We could see all of these things that have played a role in, in a family being broken. And we could look at the statistics and know that more and more first-time marriages are ending in divorce. More and more children are being born outside of marriage, right? That this is just the reality that we're facing is that the family system is breaking down. And again, this is not about any sort of shame or any sort of judgment. Listen, I was raised in a broken family. 
So I know that God's grace still works even when we go through brokenness. And so I am not here to put any sort of shame or condemnation on anybody. But it's important to understand why God has an ideal, right? Why is God's ideal for mom and dad to be together and to be in the home and be raising the kids together? And so we're going to get into a little of that today. So as we tackle this concept of broken families and what do we do in the midst of brokenness, there's really two things I want to talk about. So I just want to just kind of preface both of these things in advance so you know what direction we're going here today. The first thing I'd like to talk about is this, is transforming our values. That what we value matters. Why? Because what we truly value, now here, let's, let me meddle a little bit. Not what we say we value But what we truly value matters because what we truly value will impact all of our behaviors and all of our decisions. And so if we want to start making new decisions or if we want to start uh, building new behaviors, we have to change what we truly value. Because if we don't change what we truly value, you can try out a new behavior and it might last a couple of weeks, but it won't last Because ultimately, what we truly value will go back to to reinforcing the same behaviors, right? For me, for example, when I was lost in drug addiction, I got in trouble. I got busted for driving under the influence, possession of drugs. I went to jail, and I got out of jail, and I'm like, I'm done. Jail sucked. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to get high anymore. But I didn't do anything to change my values. I didn't do anything to deal with the hurts and the brokenness in my life that caused me to get high in the first place. So guess what? I stayed clean for exactly two weeks. And then all of your values and all of your brokenness go back to the same behaviors. And then it happened again. And I stayed clean for about two weeks, right? It wasn't until I reached the point that I was willing to deal with my brokenness and change the things that I truly valued. And now that I've walked that road 20 years, 20 years clean and sober, right? So that's the difference between two weeks and 20 years. We've got to change what we truly value. Not just say it, right? We can say it, right? I value working out, but you never work out. I value healthy eating, but you never eat healthy, right? So it's not what we say we value, it's what we truly value in our hearts. And then the second thing we want to dive into today is the concept of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. That if we want to reap a new harvest, then we've got to start sowing a new seed. All right? So let's dig into this. Let's begin talking about what we value. You'll notice in your notes there's four things, and they're kind of cascading across your notes there. And the reason for that is that each one builds on the one that comes before it. And I wanted to kind of give you that visual with the way we laid out your notes. What we value matters. And so when it talks about trying to move towards healthy and whole families, the first thing we need to talk about is valuing children. Valuing children. And I know that you say, oh, well, pastor, this is Kauai. Of course we value our keiki here. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit and say, no, not just what we say, but what we do 
reveals our true values, right? And so let's talk about valuing children, and let's talk about some of the things that have maybe devalued children or given us the, what we would call the wrong sense of valuing, the wrong sense of valuing. So, so here's one. It's something I'm going to call the cult of parenthood, the cult of parenthood. You say, well, what is this? Well, this is something, I don't know, maybe it started in the 80s and it's just grown and grown until it's blown up into what it is today. But today it's this whole idea that the moment you have a baby, that baby has to be the most important thing in your life. And if you don't sacrifice everything else in your life just to put that baby on the throne of your life, then you must be a horrible mom or a horrible dad. And I don't think that's biblical, and I don't think it's right, and I don't think it raises healthy children. But yet there is so much pressure from our culture today that that's what we have to do. There was a gal named Ayelette Waldman. And this was, this was back in uh, about 2005, right? So this was about 14 years ago. She wrote an essay for the New York Times, and it was printed as a column piece in the New York Times. And in her essay... She wrote that she loved her husband more than her children. And you can argue about the the semantics of this, but in this essay, she even wrote, if one of my children died, it would hurt and I would go through the grieving process, but I would get through it. She said, if my husband died, I don't know how I would get through that devastation. And she laid out in this whole essay how she loved her husband more than her children and how she felt that was important for the health of her children. Well, you know what happened after this essay was published? This woman was vilified across the nation. They just persecuted her and spread her name through the mud and said she was the worst mom in the world. Oprah vilified her. The View vilified her. People called social services and reported her to CPS because this obviously made her such a horrible mom. Why? Because this is the cult of parenthood. So what happens? We reorder our lives to put our children on the throne of our lives. So that what they want is always most important. And if they want to do something different on the weekends, then we don't go to church. And if they have an activity, it becomes more important than our faith and more important than our walk with God. More important even than our marriage. And so what we end up doing is raising kids with no convictions. And then when they turn 18, they don't want to go to church. They don't want to put Jesus on the throne of their lives. Because they've been the center of the universe their whole lives. And the reason I bring this up is because we think we're valuing children by doing this, but we're not. It's a wrong sense of valuing. Another wrong sense of valuing children would be enabling. Right? Just always saying yes to our kids. Always bailing them out. Always doing everything for them. Well, I love them. I would be a terrible parent if I didn't come through and make this easier for them. No. We're actually making them less and less responsible and less and less able to handle what life is going to bring at them and to understand the consequences of their behaviors and their actions. So I think it's important to bring these things up because we feel pressure from culture. We feel pressure from the way society does things. We feel pressure from our own inner guilt 
to enable our children to always say yes to them, to put them on the throne of our lives. And we think this means that we're valuing them, but it doesn't. Because valuing children is doing what's best for them. And the truth is, is that these things that are on the screen are actually doing what's best for us because it makes us feel better and it makes life easier for us. But it's not doing what's best for our kids. If we value children, the other thing is this, is we would stop hurting them. If we value children, we would stop hurting them. Can we talk about abortion? Right? Abortion, slowly but surely, year after year, what does it do? It devalues children. It dehumanizes them. The whole abortion movement has been built on the concept that the fetus in the womb is nothing more than non-viable tissue that can be easily disposed of. And we keep hearing that year after year over and over again as millions of babies are aborted. And what does it do? It devalues children. It dehumanizes them. And if we dig even a little deeper into our past here on the Hawaiian Islands, the native Hawaiians hundreds of years ago, they didn't practice abortion because they didn't have those medical practices back then, but they practiced infanticide. That means to kill the infants, right? They would give birth to a baby, and that baby would be too much work or too much of a distraction, so they would just bury the baby alive on the beach, and they would move on. And this was an accepted practice. And we can talk about curses and what gets handed down over the years, but I believe that this is a curse that all of us can repent from here on the islands that that sense of devaluing children has carried over through the years and through the generations. We need to stop hurting our children and devaluing them. Things like abuse and abandonment, right? We need to stop hurting our children. We need to stop leaving them and abandoning them. And they're too much work so grandma can raise them because I'm going to fly off and live my life. Something needs to happen in our hearts where we truly value children and what it takes to do what's best for them and to stop hurting them. So how do we build towards that? Well, let's take a step backwards. Before we can value children, we have to value marriage. We have to value marriage. Why? Because the best thing we can do for our children is to work towards a healthy marriage with our partner. And then I put in parentheses while also protecting our kids from harm because that's important. If your partner is abusing you or abusing your children or if your partner is lost in alcoholism or addiction and they're driving under the influence with kids in the car, all of those types of things that are potentially putting your children in harm's way, you need to set some proper boundaries that you're not putting yourself or your children in harm's way. So that's the, the caveat there in parentheses. But ideally, the best thing we can do for our children is to have a healthy marriage. And we've got to begin to put the work in to value how important marriage is for our children. Research has proven over and over again that marriage is better for children. 
And I know we live in a society today that, that wants to do away with marriage, and you can read these frightening stats about millennials and, and how they don't really feel very strongly about marriage anymore. And, you know, it's, it's much better to just be free and have sex with whoever you want and, and, and do these things. But we can say all that, but we can't deny the research. And the research has proven over and over again that marriage is better for children. Children whose biological parents are both married are less likely to be poor, less likely to be abused, less likely to drop out of school, less likely to experience mental illness, less likely to be addicted to drugs, to commit crimes, to go to jail, less likely to experience teen pregnancy, and less likely to have their own marriages end in divorce. They're more likely to go to college and to experience emotional and mental health. Having a mother and father in the home gives the children gender-specific support that they need that allows for complex biologically rooted interactions that help develop balanced and healthy boys and girls. So if we want to value our children, then we have to value marriage. We have to value the importance of it. And we have to be willing to put the work in to work towards a healthy marriage because we understand how important that is for our kids. You say, okay, well, well, what do we have to build on to get to the point of valuing marriage? Well, the next one is we have to value purity because the best way to not have children before marriage is to not have sex before marriage. Right? I'm not a scientist, but I think I've got this one figured out. Okay? So if we know that the best thing for our kids is to not have them until we're married, then that means the best thing we can do is not have sex until we're married. And that means we have to value purity. Here's the reality. Having sex before marriage hurts your chances at a healthy marriage. Why? Because sex is not just a physical act. It's not just something we do because it feels good. Sex actually chemically bonds us to the person that we're having sex with. And so if we have sex with somebody and chemically bond ourselves to that person and then we break up, we're also breaking up chemical bonds. And the more we do that, the more we're messing up our chemicals, our ability to bond, our ability to trust, our ability to be intimate, our ability to open up to people. And all of those things hurt our chances at having a healthy marriage. So we've got to value purity if we're going to value marriage. Having sex before marriage also increases the chance that you will marry an unhealthy person. Why? Because you have sex before marriage, you get pregnant, and then you decide, well, the responsible thing to do now is to get married because we're pregnant. Yet that person that you're marrying may have a lot of brokenness and baggage in their life. But you married them because you got pregnant with them. So if we're going to value children, then we have to value marriage. And if we're going to value marriage, then we have to value purity. Are you following me? And then the last one is we have to value the Word of God. We have to believe in our hearts that the Word of God sets the standard for the best life that we can live. Plain and simple. 
God is the God of love. He is the all-powerful God in the universe. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything, which means he knows what's best for us. And he compiled what's best for us and put it in a book that we could read every day so that we could engage his word. The word of God sets the standard for the best life that we can live. And again, we can say, oh, well, yeah, of course I value the word of God. But are you living by it? Because if you're not living by it, then you don't truly value it. But here's the other thing. The Word of God doesn't just set the standard for the best life that we can live. The Word of God also has the power to transform us. The Word of God is not just printed words on a page. The Word of God has power in it. It's alive and active. It can actually get into our hearts. It can change our will and change our spirits. It can transform our character. It can give us a new spirit and change everything about who we are and the things that we value. And so if we begin from the Word of God and allow the Word of God to begin to transform us, then we will begin to value purity more. And as we value purity more, we'll have a greater value for marriage. And as we value marriage more, we will have a greater value for our children. And when we have a greater value for all of these things, we're willing to put the work in to get to that place of health. Whew. It's crickets in here. Come on. I'm scaring everybody away here. <laughs> so here's the thing. If you're here today and you're already in the midst of the brokenness, you say, well, where do I start? I've already got kids outside of marriage. Or I've already had failed marriages. I've already been here. I've already done this. Well, let's get into this concept of sowing and reaping. This is in your notes. One of the great challenges in moving towards healthy families is connecting the consequences we are reaping with the actions that have been sown. It's connecting the consequences that we are reaping with the actions that have been sown. Because, see, here's one of the problems with life is sometimes we'll do something and it's wrong, but we don't get in trouble. So we think, well, I did it, and I didn't get in trouble, so I'm going to do it again. And the problem is with a lot of the things that we do wrong in life, the consequences are usually further down the road. Right? There's some immediate things. Maybe you broke the law and you went to jail immediately. All right? That, but a lot of our life's behaviors, the consequences of those behaviors are further down the road. Now, Mark and I, we've gone on a mission here starting these last few weeks to do a lot of tree trimming. We've cut down a lot of trees. You probably haven't noticed because there's thousands of them on our property, so you didn't miss the one or two that we cut down. But we're trying to make things safe. We're trying to protect our buildings. We're trying to protect our driveways. So we're cutting down a lot of trees. So it's about a week and a half ago. We're behind our church on the beach sheds on what is a steep cliff, trimming trees because those trees are growing over the sheds, and we don't want them to hurt the sheds. So there's this one particularly large branch that we need to cut down. But it's about 15 feet off the ground, and the tree is on a steep cliff that goes down behind the sheds. So what did we do? We figured out a way to cut it down. So we had a 10-foot ladder back there. Of course, the ladder wouldn't stand up straight because we're on a steep cliff. 
So we put a little piece of concrete under the ladder to try to hold it stable on the cliff. I'm up at the top of the ladder. The branch is still a little bit above my head. So now I've got a chainsaw above my head standing on a ladder that's on a cliff with nothing but a little piece of concrete holding it up, cutting down a giant branch. And here's the thing. We didn't get hurt. So we should just keep doing stupid stuff over and over again, right? No. Oh, Val's hearing this story for the first time, I think. I don't think Val's heard this story yet. (laughs) So, being the industrious men that we are, we didn't want to leave that branch undone. But we also know that we were tremendously lucky and blessed by God to not get hurt. So we're not going to keep doing it. I'm not going to get on another ladder on a cliff this week. In fact, last week, we broke some fence posts because we chose to just cut the whole tree down rather than get on a crazy ladder again, okay? But we did something stupid, and we didn't get hurt. And a lot of times in life, what happens is is we do something wrong. We don't see the immediate consequences, so we just keep doing it. And then when the consequences finally do come down the road, we don't relate the consequences to all the actions we've been sowing. If you think about dogs, now hopefully we're much smarter than dogs. But when it comes to dog training, now I I rescued a boxer from the rescue, and she was crazy, okay? So I had a psycho boxer at home. And so I got really big into dog training because I had to figure out how to keep this crazy boxer under control. So I was a huge fan of Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer, and, and we're doing all of this stuff. But here's something I learned about dog training is that if the punishment doesn't come within 15 seconds of the behavior, the dog has no way of relating the punishment to the behavior. They only have a 15-second window, and then the punishment's too far away. So as humans, our window is a lot longer than 15 seconds, but for most of us, the punishment is still too far down the road for us to relate it to the behavior. So we keep doing bad behaviors, And we don't understand why we keep reaping bad results. So let's go to the Word of God. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Galatians chapter 6. And let's read verses 7 through 10. Paul says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul starts out with, do not be deceived. This is actually a very strong introduction to a paragraph to say, do not be deceived. Right? This is implying that there are spiritual and physical forces at work in your life trying to deceive you. And what is the deception that he's talking about? God is not mocked. What does that mean? That means that people were mocking God. 
or that people were teaching that it was okay to mock God. And what was their mockery of God? It's that they could do whatever they wanted and God would still bless them. They could live however they pleased and they could still say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, God's going to be good to me. No, Paul's saying, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man reaps or whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So obviously he's using agricultural terms here, but the reality is that a farmer knows that if he sows apple seeds, he's going to get an apple tree. And the only harvest he's going to reap is apples. And if he sows peach seeds, he's going to get a peach tree. And the only harvest he's going to reach uh, get is peaches. And so the same thing is true in our lives. The seeds that we're sowing are going to determine the outcomes that we're reaping. And so what are we going to do in life? Well, here it is. If we want new outcomes, we have to start sowing new seeds. Because the only way we're going to reap a new harvest is if we start sowing a new seed. When I went through recovery and I went through rehab, we memorized this quote. People even turned it into a poem and, and different things like that. But the quote is this. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. If you keep doing what you've always done, then you'll keep getting what you've always gotten. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. If we keep sowing the same seed, we're going to keep getting the same results. So if we keep sowing the seed of hatred, if we keep sowing the seed of anger, if we keep sowing the seed of, of selfishness, if we keep sowing the seed of sin, if we keep sowing the seed of discord or the seed of bitterness or the seed of whatever seeds we keep sowing, we're going to keep reaping the same fruits. It's insanity to think that we can keep sowing the same seed and somehow next year our life's going to be different than it was this year. It doesn't work that way. So what do we have to do? We have to start sowing new seed. What does that look like? It means doing things differently than you've done them before. If this is how I would normally respond to a situation... I'm going to learn a new way to respond to it. If this is what I would normally do when I wake up in the morning, then I'm going to do something different. If this is how I would normally respond to that person who ticks me off, I'm going to learn a new way to respond to them. And we start sowing new seed. How? By starting new behaviors and sowing the seed of those new behaviors. That's what Paul is talking about here when, he, when he's talking about sowing the seed of doing good. Second thing in your notes is this. Keep sowing. Don't give up. Keep sowing. That's why Paul said in verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. See, farmers had the advantage that they know the seasons. So they know if I sow a seed today, I know pretty much exactly how long it's going to be before I'm eating the fruit off of that tree. We don't have that benefit in life. We just have to start sowing the seed, and we don't know when the new fruit's going to come. 
And that's why Paul says, don't grow weary. We're going to reap a harvest. We just don't know when it is. And here's the reality. Most of the fruit that we're eating in our lives today, we're eating because of the seed that we've been sowing for the last 10, 20, 30 years. And then we try something new for like a month. And we don't see the changes in our life yet. And we're like, oh, I give up. I tried for a month. What do you mean a month? When I was a youth pastor, I'd have parents come to me. You know, my son, my daughter, they're really messed up. I'm really excited that you're going to turn things around. And I'm thinking, wait a second. You've been messing them up for 16 years. And you expect me to fix them overnight? We've got to keep sowing. It's taken us years to get to the place of brokenness that we're at. It's going to take a lot more than a month to see the new fruit come. And then what we do is we get jealous. We look at somebody that is healthy or they are blessed financially or they are doing great in life or, or you know, they're, they're in that place now where they're retired and their children are adults and everything's healthy and we get jealous. Well, God, why does God love them so much that they have such a great life? We never stop to think that maybe they've been sowing good seed for 30 or 40 years to reap the harvest that they're reaping today. We've got to start sowing, and then we can't give up. You're not going to see change today. You may not see it tomorrow. You may not see it next week. But you've got to keep sowing the new seed. Don't give up. No matter how you're feeling, listen to Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. You say, Pastor, you don't know how bad it hurts. You don't know how much pain I'm in. I say, keep sowing. Keep sowing the seeds even when you're weeping because the day will come when you're shouting for joy. But that day will never come if you stop sowing now. It won't. No matter how you're feeling, keep sowing. Keep sowing in your tears because you'll be shouting with joy. You say, but pastor, you don't know my circumstances. Listen to Ecclesiastes 11 verses 4 through 6. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of wind and how bones are formed in the wombs of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. What is Solomon saying here? He's saying, don't look at your circumstances. Because if you look at your circumstances, you'll stop sowing. He says, instead, just keep sowing new seed all day long. And you don't know which seed it is that's going to produce the fruits. You don't know which seed it is that's going to turn the tide. So just keep sowing. No matter what's happening in life, no matter how bad it hurts, no matter how long it takes, just keep sowing. 
Whew, I got to finish. Worship team, come back up. We're, we're way late today. Next thing in your notes is so consistently. Deuteronomy 22.9 says, You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, or all the produce of the seed which you have sown, and the increase of the vineyard will become defiled. If you sow two types of seed, your outcome is just going to be defiled. You've got to sow consistently. You've got to keep sowing the good seed. You say, well, I sow the good seed, but I'm still doing a lot of bad things. Well, then you're sowing mixed seed. Consistency is critical. Once you start sowing the new seed, you've got to just keep sowing the good seed. This is so important with our children. Nothing helps our children be healthy more than consistency. Keep sowing the same seed. Keep sowing the same seed. Don't mix the seed. And then finally, sow with the long view in mind. Sow with the long view in mind. If you're just looking for results today, you're going to give up. If you're just looking for results today, you'll just do selfish things. But if you're sowing with the long view in mind, you'll keep sowing even when you're not reaping the harvest today. You'll do what's difficult and painful because the long view is most important. Solomon said it like this in Ecclesiastes 11.9. He said, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of the heart and the desire of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all of these things. He's saying, hey, you want to be young and have fun? Go ahead, do what you want. But know that there's a long view, and there's going to be a judgment you're going to reap from your choice to have fun today. So Solomon says, keep the long view in mind. God is not mocked. You will reap a harvest. You will see the goodness of the land. You will have an eternal destiny. Your family will be restored. But you've got to see beyond today and keep sowing with the long view in mind. Will you stand with me today? You say, this all sounds great, Pastor, but obviously I have problems. If I could just do good things all the time, my life wouldn't be so messed up. Well, here's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to do it in your strength. The grace of God is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. The first seed we need to sow is to surrender ourselves to the grace of God. Because I agree, in our own strength, we'll just keep making a mess of things. And we'll just keep perpetuating the brokenness. But when we surrender to the grace of God and we say, Lord, I'm too weak to do this. God, I can't figure it out. God, I can never get it right. The grace of God comes, and His strength takes over. And you will have the strength each day to sow the new seed. Not the strength in you, but the strength in God Himself. And so the first seed to sow in moving towards health and wholeness is the seed of surrendering to Jesus and surrendering to His grace. Can I invite the prayer team to come today?
This might be a, a hard message to respond to. But I just want to put it simply like this. If you're at a point in your life where you're not getting the fruit that you want, there's brokenness, there's struggle. We're not getting where we want to be as a family. Things are going on with our kids. There's a struggle in our marriage. There's a brokenness in our family. We don't have the fruit we want. Then I want to invite you to come forward and receive prayer. There is no judgment or condemnation in this place. This is a safe place. But by coming forward, you're simply saying, I'm ready to start sowing some new seed. And I know I can't do it myself. And so I need the grace of God to help me. But I also need people of God in the church to help me to stay consistent, to not give up, to keep pressing in, to keep the long view in mind. But it's time to start sowing new seed. Pastor Danae would like to introduce a new song to you this morning. And as we sing this new song, I invite you, come forward and receive prayer. Don't be ashamed. Don't let fear keep you in your seats. If you're not happy with the fruit you have in your life, right now, come forward for prayer so we can start sowing new seed.